Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnolis. Growing up so close to New York City was a pretty wonderful thing. It could be magical. Seeing the Manhattan skyline at night from where you live is a pretty beautiful thing. It could also be very scary. New York City in the 1970s and 1980s was a place of, well, at least to a New Jerseyan, of danger. And it was especially taxing in my household where on a regular basis my mother would summarize all the horrible things that happened in New York. Still, I was intrigued and... As I grew older, I would make many forays into the city, some without my family's knowledge. Until I did that, though, I had to get all my Manhattan stuff either in the few times we would go over as a family or through television and movies. Now, there was a lot of movies to watch, a lot of 70s ones where New York was terrifying. But we get into the 80s and movies started to appear that showed some of the new wave countercultural stuff going on in New York, stuff I could maybe relate to more than the scarier stuff that I had seen in the 70s. One of those things that intrigued me was films like Desperately Seeking Susan, a movie I consumed mostly at the side of my sister on the couch while we watched it on cable television. My sister would watch it and then tell me about places in New York. The amazing thing about that is that it dawned on me that my sister was going into the city. She was a couple of years older than me, but I had no idea she was leading this exciting lifestyle. And of course, neither did my mother, or she would have had a conniption fit. Now, I don't know if the stories my sister told me about the places in Desperately Seeking Susan, as if she had been to every scene in the film, were true. But watching it with her and picturing her kind of in these movies gave me a whole new appreciation for them and for her. It made them a lot more magical to watch. And nowadays when I watch these movies, I can't help but think of my sister maybe listening to some music and then running over to the city. On today's show, I'd like to talk to you about this film, Desperately Seeking Susan. We'll talk about the people in front of and behind the camera. We'll talk about the plot and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us. So without further ado, let's start the show. Desperately Seeking Susan was released in 1985. It's a dramedy directed by Susan Seidelman, and it starred Rosanna Arquette. And this flash in the pan, you might have heard of her, Madonna. The film was written by Leora Barish. 
I don't know much about Barish, but I looked her up, and outside of Desperately Seeking Susan, she did work on the TV show The Hitchhiker, wrote some episodes for that, and then one of her biggest credits after that would be Basic Instinct 2. The film was directed by Susan Seidelman. Seidelman was born in 1952 in Philadelphia. She's a producer, writer, actress, director. She made her feature film debut in... 1982 with Smithereens, which won some awards. Her second movie would be Desperately Seeking Susan. After Desperately Seeking Susan, Seidelman worked on some slightly less successful films, including Making Mr. Right with John Malkovich, Cookie with Peter Falk, and of course the motion picture classic She-Devil starring Roseanne Barr. As the 90s came on and moved into the new millennium, Seidelman would work on the pilot of the TV show Sex in the City and would also direct many episodes for it. Now, the concept of this film started much earlier than the production of it. And because of that, the film went through a couple of incarnations and most of the changes to it would have probably revolved around who would have played the leads. Now, Madonna and Rosanna Arquette would get those roles, but originally they wanted Diane Keaton and Goldie Hawn to play the leads in the film. But... Seidelman really pushed to have younger actors in the film and wanted to cast newcomers, probably for a bunch of reasons, maybe to realize a vision and maybe also to appeal to a younger audience. Inspiration for the film came partly from the 1974 film Celine and Julie Go Boating. The movie was filmed during the summer and fall of 1984, and this was really early in Madonna's career. And while the film was going on, Madonna just sort of showed up doing her thing, being very Madonna-like. But as they were filming, Madonna was breaking through. And as the film went on, she became more and more popular. And it was harder and harder to film scenes of her on the street. Originally, the film was supposed to have an R rating, but they redid some of it and trimmed some of the content to get it down to PG-13 to take advantage of Madonna's growing teenage fan base. Now, before I get into the actors and actresses, I'll tell you a little bit about the plot of the film. If you haven't seen it, you might want to pause here and go watch it. The film is about Roberta, who is played by Rosanna Arquette, who is a housewife living in Fort Lee, New Jersey. Now, she becomes fascinated with messages she finds in the personal sections of a New York City newspaper. And she finally decides to track down the people in the personals when she reads one that is called Desperately Seeking Susan. And she would go to Battery Park in New York City, a lot of great locations in this film, and she would get into an adventure that involves amnesia, falling in love, ancient Egyptian jewelry, a hitman, a magic club, a hot tub salesman, and I'm sure a lot of things I can't even remember. What's really cool, and probably not easy to spot nowadays, are the locations, as I said. And I remember when I started going into the city in, I guess, the 80s still, and a lot more in the 90s, you could still see a lot of the locations. For example, there's a secondhand clothing store that features quite prominently in the beginning of the film called Love Saves the Day. And I remember going by that all the time. I probably went in a few times. The jacket that Susan and Roberta wear in the film was bought there. So I always kind of associated a fun fact. One of those jackets that they wore in the movie was auctioned in 2014 and went for almost a quarter of a million dollars. So there's some iconic stuff in this film. In addition to great New York locations and backgrounds, 
You also have a great shot of mid-80s New York. You get to see yuppie culture, including an amazing house that Roberta lives in and eventually Madonna will go to that's supposed to be in Fort Lee. Went to Fort Lee many times as a kid. If you don't know where Fort Lee is, it's not very far from New York, especially if you go by the way of the George Washington Bridge. Go Fort Lee. One of the coolest things in Roberta's house, and you see a scene where Madonna and Roberta's husband, Gary, are sitting in the living room, and they have this coffee table that has a built-in sort of snack tray in it. It is amazing. I love it. After these messages, we'll be right back. Rufus! I played a Casio SK-1, and Rufus sings. Problem is, he only sings when he wants to. But with this Casio, I can record a sample of him whenever he's in the mood. Come on, Ru. Got it. Now, whenever I want Rufus to hit it, I just hit this button. Oh, the Casio SK-1 sampling keyboard because the show must go on. You know, Rufus, this act could be a single. The BQE. I never thought getting in shape could be so much fun. The BQE. Healthy body, healthy mind. The BQE is New York's only 24-hour health and racquetball facility. We have aerobics, martial arts, and aerobics, our own combination of martial arts and an aerobic workout. Visit our sky-high arena featuring state-of-the-art Nautilus and fitness equipment. Take a swim or relax in our whirlpool. The BQE, where fitness is social. And now, back to the show. Now a little bit about the cast of Desperately Seeking Susan. The true star of the film, if you were to watch the film and not know anybody in it, is Rosanna Arquette. But the reason most people talk about this film is Madonna, who played Susan Thomas. Madonna is a giant star. Even nowadays, most people know who she is, even if they're not buying her music as much as they used to. During the film, a lot of people wanted this role. 200 actresses tried out for the role, including... Melanie Griffith, Jennifer Jason Lee, Ellen Barkin, Kelly McGillis, and Rebecca De Mornay. As I said earlier, other people wanted to be in this film. Ellen Barkin wanted the role of Susan and was actually the studio's first choice to play the role. But Seidelman kept fighting and eventually Madonna would get the role. There's a fun story I heard that during filming, Madonna was trying to keep slim, but a lot of the movie had her eating, so she would actually have to spit out after each take where she had food. I've heard that this happens a lot on sets. I've been on a couple of movie sets. I don't think I was ever on one where people were eating, where I would be able to see this behavior. But boy, that's got to be all sorts of nasty. Madonna is a major star, made tons of music, very successful as a pop star, was in a lot of movies as well. I would say of all the films that she was in, this would be the one that you should see. It's actually pretty good for her. I'm also a big fan of Dick Tracy. I don't think it's a perfect film, but I definitely think it's worth checking out. Now, the real star of the movie, Rosanna Arquette, played Roberta Glass. Arquette is an actress, director, and producer, appeared in both movies and television. In fact, her big break happened when she earned an Emmy nomination for the TV film The Executioner's Song in 1982. Her first starring role was in the John Sayles movie Baby It's You, but the film I think that most people would remember her for right away is Desperately Seeking Susan, which is amazing since most people probably remember Madonna was in this film. 
I've actually seen interviews with Rosanna Arquette, and they will ask her two questions. One, what's it like to work with Madonna? And two, is that song Rosanna about you? You know, Rosanna is by the band Toto, and it is about Rosanna Arquette, who was dating band member Jeff Porcaro at the time. A young Aidan Quinn played Dez. Quinn's film debut was 1984's Reckless. It would follow that up with 50 motion pictures afterwards, including Desperately Seeking Susan. He's done some TV work, most recently on the TV show Elementary, that Sherlock Holmes TV show that's on. I didn't know this until learning about this movie, but when Martin Scorsese was doing The Last Temptation of Christ, Aiden Quinn was actually cast in the lead role of the film, but then Paramount Pictures dumped the film, and when it was picked up by Universal, William Defoe was cast. Aiden Quinn might not have gotten the role of Des. Up for the role was also Bruce Willis. Mark Blum plays Gary Glass, Roberta's husband. Blum, who was born in Newark, New Jersey, is a pretty prolific character actor. Started acting in the 70s, would continue working. If you're a fan of 80s films, you'll probably remember him for two roles. One in Desperately Seeking Susan, and two in Crocodile Dundee. Robert Joy played Jim. Joy is a Canadian actor who is probably known to modern audiences as Dr. Sid Hammerback on CSI New York. The timeless Laurie Metcalf played Leslie Glass, Roberta's sister-in-law. Laura Elizabeth Metcalf, born 1955, probably best known for her role as Jackie Harris on the sitcom Roseanne, but she's also been on the TV show Desperate Housewives and most recently on The Big Bang Theory. Will Patton played Wayne Nolan. William Rankin Patton is an American actor. If you've seen the TNT series Falling Skies, he plays Colonel Dan Weaver. He's also been in movies like Gone in 60 Seconds and Armageddon. Plays a kind of creepy, dyed blonde weirdo in this movie. He's the hitman. The actor and comedian Stephen Wright played Larry Stillman, DDS. Stephen Alexander Wright kind of does this deadpan Sometimes nonsensical humor. Very, very funny. Been working for a very long time. In addition to stand-up, whenever he appears in movies, he tends to steal scenes. He was in, obviously, Desperately Seeking Susan. He's been in Natural Born Killers. Kind of underrated role. He was in the film So I Married an Axe Murderer, where he plays a pilot with some pretty funny lines. Finally, John Turturro plays Ray, who is the master of ceremonies at the Magic Club. It's kind of cool because this is a very early Totoro role. He would go on to big things, including appearing in a lot of Coen Brother films. It's also in Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Do you think yourself a fan of Madonna? Want to know what her five best songs are? Here to tell you is Metagirl with the Retroist Top 5 list. Five, four, three, two, one. Greetings, retro fans! This is Metagirl, bringing you the top five Madonna songs of the 1980s. Based on their peak position on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, the following were all tops in the 1980s, each reaching the number one spot, but some hits were more durable than others. At number five is Who's That Girl, from the soundtrack album of the motion picture by the same name. This hit debuted on the Hot 100 on August 22, 1987 and held its own for 16 weeks. It was nominated for Best Song from a Motion Picture at the 1988 Grammy Awards and Best Original Song at the 1988 Golden Globe Awards. Number 4 is Like a Prayer from the album of the same name. 
This pop song with elements of gospel music appeared on Billboard's Hot 100 on April 22, 1989, and was on the chart for 16 weeks. The Vatican condemned the Like a Prayer music video, which controversially featured Catholic symbols such as stigmata and Ku Klux Klan-style cross-burning. Family and religious groups also protested, boycotting Pepsi products since the company used the song for a commercial. The Material Girl's contract with Pepsi was then cancelled, although she retained her initial fee. Number 3 is Live to Tell, from the album True Blue. Live to Tell entered the Hot 100 on June 7, 1986 and remained on the chart for 18 weeks. Originally written by Patrick Leonard for the soundtrack of the film Fire with Fire, the song was shown to Madonna, who decided to use it for then-husband Sean Penn's film At Close Range. At number two is Open Your Heart, also from True Blue. This hit debuted on the Hot 100 on February 7, 1987, and was on the chart for 18 weeks. The song was originally envisioned as a rock and roll number, with the title Follow Your Heart, written for singer Cyndi Lauper, although it was never played to her. Since Madonna's management was looking for new songs for True Blue, she accepted it, altered some of the lyrics, and changed the composition to suit the dance pop genre. As a result, she was able to claim a co-writer credit for the hit. And the number one Madonna song of the 1980s is... Like a Virgin. Like a Virgin is the titular track from Madonna's second studio album, Like a Virgin. It became her first number one single on the Billboard Hot 100, debuting on December 22, 1984, and remained on the chart for a whopping 19 weeks. Madonna performed Like a Virgin at the first MTV Video Music Awards in 1984, where she appeared on stage atop a giant wedding cake, wearing a wedding dress, adorned with the infamous boy toy belt buckle and veil. To this day, the performance is noted as one of the most iconic and biggest performances in MTV's history. Music scholars have credited Like a Virgin as the song which cemented Madonna's position as a pop culture icon. And there you have it, the Retroist's Top 5 Madonna Songs of the 1980s. Until next time, List fans, this has been Metagirl. Thanks, Metagirl. The film has a very good soundtrack. It was put together by Tom Newman. He's an American composer. Newman has done a lot of movies. If you're a fan of the little film series called Star Wars, Newman actually worked on Return of the Jedi. He orchestrated the scene where Darth Vader dies, and he would go on to do tons of other films, get nominated for all sorts of awards, including for a pretty stirring score for the film The Shawshank Redemption. If you're interested in the soundtrack itself, the orchestrated soundtrack, it has been released on vinyl and CD, paired together with the soundtrack for the film Making Mr. Right. Now, the soundtrack does not include any of the songs featured in the film, things like Madonna's Into the Groove. But if you pick it up, it has some pretty good music, and it's quite a beefy soundtrack. If you want to recreate the music from the movie, there's music by Madonna, the Chiffons, Carly Simon, Run DMC, Iggy Pop, Dee Dee Sharp, Marshall Crenshaw, The Fix, and many others. Now, they weren't sure how to release this film, how they were going to market it. Originally, Orion Pictures, who would release the film, had a poster, and I would love to see this, that had a toaster on a poster. Toaster on a poster, that's awesome. And there was Madonna reflected in the toaster and a piece of toast popping out with Rosanna Arquette's face on it, which makes absolutely no sense for the film and therefore I think is a completely magical thing. Eventually they would settle on a poster that is very well done. 
features the two characters on it, looking very buddy-buddy. The film was released on March 29th, 1985, had a budget of $4.5 million, and would go on to make $27.3 million. The film would be number 13 the week it was released, but it was up against some pretty steep competition, including the number one movie, Police Academy 2, their first assignment, followed by Mask, the Care Bear movie, Friday the 13th Part 5, Porky's Revenge, which is Porky's Part 3, the reissue of Return of the Jedi, The Last Dragon, great movie, Baby, The Secret of the Lost Legend, another fun movie, Beverly Hills Cop, and a couple of others in between. The film actually had pretty good legs. It would start off at 2.3 million when it was released. Then it would increase steadily from week to week, going up to 2.5, then to 3.5 for two weeks, and then finally slowly descending. But it managed to stay in theaters and do pretty well throughout its run, and was not only pretty well regarded at the time, but still pretty well regarded today by reviewers. We'll return after these messages. Okay, what do you like better? Take in, take out, eat in, or take out or eat in? What do you like better? I prefer to go, eat in, and then take out. I like to call up, tell them I'm going to take it out, and then get there and eat it in. Because then it's a surprise. We've got it. Summer savings at Sam Goody. Pick up Theater of Pain from Motley Crue, Invasion of Your Privacy, new from Rat, and Shaken and Stirred by Robert Plant. On sale now, only $6.99 each. Storewide summer savings at Sam Goody. Goody, Goody, Sam Goody got it. Goody, Goody, Sam Goody got it. Sam Goody got it. Sam Goody got it. And now, back to our show. The film was turned into a stage musical, which premiered in London in 2007, with music and lyrics by Blondie and Deborah Harry. Never saw it, tried to find pieces of it online, could not. I'm really surprised in our sort of revival world, especially during the big musical craze we had a few years ago, that we did not see a Desperately Seeking Susan, the musical, the movie. Although, I guess that could be coming out. Not a lot of Desperately Seeking merchandise in the world, never any action figures, sadly. But there was a novelization of Desperately Seeking Susan. I ordered a copy, and it never came, and I abandoned my efforts. I'll probably pick it up in the future just to see if there's anything different in it. It was written by Susan Dworkin, and Susan Dworkin doesn't list it anywhere on her website. Dworkin has some pretty heavy books in her bibliography, but no mention of Desperately Seeking Susan. If you're looking for a little lighthearted fare, a little bit of a thriller, a little bit of a comedy, a little bit of a love story, and you want to get a glimpse of old New York, or maybe the heyday of American New Wave, at least focused through the lens of Hollywood, then this weekend, why not try Desperately Seeking Susan? It's a great movie, filled with great stars, it has an interesting plot, amazing music, and if you grew up in the 80s around New York or had any interest in it, it'll definitely jar some memories. So fire it up this weekend. You won't be disappointed.
Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist.com and twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you have musical needs, you can email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. Thanks to Metagirl for another great top five list. If you have a suggestion for Metagirl or some feedback, why not email her at metagirl at retroist.com. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.